this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with the founder and CEO of BlockFi, Zach Prince. For those unfamiliar with BlockFi, I have brought it up many times on the show before. It fits into this new emerging narrative within digital assets that we call DeFi or open finance. This idea where if you have a digital asset, say, as like Bitcoin, you should be able to do some things with it that you would normally see in traditional finance, like get a loan or get a mortgage. And so this came about from a very personal place with Zach. In about 2017, he tried to apply for a mortgage. He showed Bitcoin as an asset. The bank did not recognize it as an asset. And he thought that this notion where Bitcoin has been around for 10 years has had significant price accretion, it is an asset. Um, and so you should be able to do things with it, like get a mortgage. And so that's how BlockFi came about. It has been a company that have had a lot of eyes on it over the last year. As, as I said, this emerging world of decentralized finance has come about. So we talked about some of the mechanisms. We talked about the LTVs. We talked about some of the things that from a traditional finance world, you will feel very comfortable with because some of the same calculus applies here, especially within digital assets. And so remember, nothing on Baselayer is investment advice. You're going to learn a lot about BlockFi and some of the things that are happening here. So please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear an amazing conversation with Zach uh, from BlockFi. If I could, I want to also give a shout out to the folks at BlockWorks Group, BWG. They host amazing conferences, and they also help with the podcast. Uh, some other fellow podcasters like Charlie Schramm and Jill Ruth Carlson and Melton Muirs are on the show. They produce amazing content, and they're a great group. So make sure you check them out at blockworksgroup.io. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. One I'm really excited about, as I normally am with a lot of my guests, but this one particularly because I have spoken about BlockFi for about a year on this show. I always talk about the emergence of actors in DeFi or open finance. And Zach Prince, the founder and CEO of BlockFi, is joining us on the show today. Zach, how are you? Hey, David. Doing great. Thanks for having me on. How are you? Doing great. This is going to be a great conversation. So there is this whole world that has started to evolve within the Ethereum ecosystem, within the digital asset ecosystem, where we talk about open finance slash DeFi. There's a hashtag DeFi. And the things that are happening here are in some ways in correlation or they feel like some things that we've seen in traditional finance. And Zach and his team are really taking a really interesting look at how to use digital assets. We're going to talk about their mission statement, which I really like, about how you actually use these things and making and make use out of uh, digital assets. But if you could, Zach, before we go into BlockFi and everything that you're doing there, can you give us a little bit of a background on yourself? Um, and the thing that we like to do, aside from kind of general background, is the not when Bitcoin moment, but what about Bitcoin? What about the fundamental underlying technology of Bitcoin, the blockchain, really said to you, this is where I have to spend my career. This is where I have to 
found a, a, a company that focuses on it. What about it really solidified that for you? But first, a little bit about a, a, you know general background and then that pivotal moment of, of understanding the technology. Yeah, sure. So uh, in terms of general background, um, I've always worked at venture-backed technology startups throughout my career. Uh, I was at two successful companies in the advertising technology space early on in my career. And then more recently and more relevantly for BlockFi, I worked at a couple of companies in the online lending sector, which was originally called the peer-to-peer lending uh, industry. And there's some parallels to be uh, drawn and, and things to be learned from the experience that that space had that I think are relevant uh, in the crypto world now. Um, and in terms of what, what drew me to uh, Bitcoin, originally it was just the you know risk return profile of the asset and what I thought was a uh, a very attractive um, you know, investment opportunity. But as I learned more about it, uh, I got really, you know, I was an international business major in college and I've been fortunate to spend a lot of time in, in you know, lots of interesting places around the world. And the concept that this is something that anyone in the world can uh, use, anyone in the world can own, uh, was something that I thought was going to be very impactful from a uh, just global uh, societal value perspective. And so um, th- that was what really attracted me to it. That was one of the things that was a bit of a challenge uh, in the online or peer-to-peer lending space mm-hmm. in terms of distribution was that that, you know, that ecosystem was really you know, fragmented around uh, the traditional you know, geographical and, and financial uh, boundaries that exist in uh, the financial ecosystem. Um, and I thought that you know, Bitcoin didn't have that, which just made the opportunity set and the opportunity for impact uh, that much larger. So um, those two things together are what you know really made me uh, think hard about and ultimately decide to uh, build something and, and work in the space full time. You know, it's interesting because in fintech, I use air quotes. I don't know why I still use air quotes because fintech has been around for a while now. Um, but air quote fintech has been, you know, working on solutions for the underbanked in many ways. I remember back in the day that there were venture-backed companies like PAVE, which aimed to provide uh, credit facilities to kids that were coming out of college. And I say kids because now I'm 40. I can say they're kids because you know, I'm dating myself. But you know, people coming out of college that didn't necessarily have credit scores and didn't have the history that someone my age might have, for instance. And so there's always been this emphasis to try to use technology, use algorithms, use better practices with technology to provide better systems and services to those that have been shut out of that financial system. And so I think it's interesting. I want to talk about your mission statement at BlockFi. For years, crypto investors haven't had access to basic financial products in the blockchain ecosystem. Again, something that we're just hitting on that there is this fundamental shutting out of a group and demographic of people that cannot gain access to financial services. And so BlockFi bridges this gap by providing access to high interest crypto accounts and low cost credit products to clients worldwide. If you could break that down for us, what does that mean? How are you doing that? You know, we're going to go into more of the nuances about things like the BlockFi interest account and, you know, some of the loans and some of the things that you guys are doing there. But talk to us about this issue. 
you know, this issue for crypto investors who have not had access to basic financial products in the blockchain ecosystem. Is that retail-based investors? Is that institutional-based investors, like, you know, funds that are focused on this or projects that are building in the space? Talk to us a little bit about this kind of issue in terms of gaining financial services once you're in crypto. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, you know, the original idea stemmed a bit from a, a personal experience that I had where I was feeling proud of myself for having, you know, invested in uh, Bitcoin and a couple other assets pretty early and they, you know, went up in value and I was trying to secure a loan from a bank. And so I listed them on the financial statement that I submitted to that bank, uh, really just being curious about, you know, what the bank would, would say. And not only did they say, uh, we value these assets at zero, but they also put me through some additional compliance screens because they were concerned that I'd might be involved in you know some type of illicit activities or something, and that was kind of my light bulb moment that you know for the same reasons that some of those companies in the online lending space were successful, which was uh, primarily that you know traditional lenders, banks um, had stopped being as active in certain pockets of the market, or they were serving, or online lenders were serving some niche customer segment. Uh, the crypto space was going to have uh, that that same need. Uh, for someone uh, to build a service uh, that wasn't a bank, but that made these types of products available. So the first thing we started with was the concept of uh, being able to use these assets and have a lender value them as collateral uh, for a loan. Um, and the value proposition to someone who takes that loan is that they can get liquidity without selling the assets. So they retain ownership, they retain the upside, they get liquidity without triggering a taxable event. And for an asset like Bitcoin that's, you know, uh, gone up as much as it has, um, a lot of folks who've held on to it for a while have a big incentive to not sell because they have a very large embedded capital gain in those assets that uh, whenever they realize it is going to have, you know, a meaningful uh, tax cost associated with it. So that was the first product that we launched, um, a U.S. dollar loan backed by Bitcoin as collateral. And we now offer those types of loans at rates as low as 4.5% uh, per year. Right. Um, and then we always knew that, you know, one of the big learnings from the online lending sector was uh, you didn't want to be just a company that had a single product. Um, you wanted to be more like a company that, uh, like SoFi, who uh, started with one product, delivered it to a, you know, specific uh, customer segment. In their case, it was Henry's high earners, not rich yet. And they started with student loans and then they evolved into mortgages and investing and a savings account. And we knew we wanted to go down a similar path. Uh, so after bringing that loan product to market um, and getting some, you know, great traction there, we were the first company to raise institutional capital to support making those types of loans. And we grew throughout uh, 2018 um, with that product in market. Mm -hmm. uh, we expanded into uh, also offering individuals the ability to earn interest on their crypto holdings, which is the interest account. Right. Um, and that interest account uh, is powered by institutional connectivity where the rate that we're paying to the depositors is generated by us lending uh, crypto to institutional borrowers in cryptocurrency denominated transactions. Right. Um, so that's, that's where we are today. And we have a couple of additional products that we're planning on launching, uh, all within a similar theme. 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, creating valuable products for this core retail user. Uh, but all of those products that we'll deliver are going to require uh, institutional connectivity um, to uh, facilitate that delivery. So I'm curious, you know, this this instance that happened, um, your personal instance that kind of led you down the road to building BlockFi. When did that happen? That was early 2017, like Q1 2017. So you're telling me that a financial institution at that point in time where Bitcoin has been around for 10 years, you and I both know that listeners hopefully know that by this point in time, Bitcoin has been around for two, for 10 years, um, actually more than 10 years now. You're te- it's so interesting to hear that a financial institution at that point in time did not have the capacity to at least do some basic underwriting of Bitcoin. They could have been able to pick up the price. Coinbase has already been around for a number of years at this point in time. And so they could have done some basic underwriting, but no, instead they decided to almost treat you like a villain or some sort of a criminal. Um, and I think that's just, I'm hoping in this day and time, as we see more institutions come online with products like Fidelity and Backed and with TD Ameritrade and some of the others out there, I'm hoping those barriers hopefully come down. Obviously for BlockFi, you know, there is an obvious need for that. Uh, but I just think that, you know, I was surprised. I thought you were going to tell me that this was like 2014 or something like that, you know, kind of, you know, even a few years before. But 2017, that's, that is alarming to hear um, for sure. So I want to unpack this a little bit. We just, you alluded to it, but I want to talk about it a, a little bit more in depth. So the BlockFi interest account for most crypto investors, keeping their digital assets on exchange or in cold storage is their long-term strategy. But this doesn't help create more wealth for them beyond the value of their investments increasing. An easy way to earn Bitcoin, either or Gemini Dollar, GSUD, is with the power of compound interest. And you guys talk a lot about compound interest. I saw the, the quote from Einstein, which is great. In the same way it works with the traditional finance world, there are services like BlackFi interest accounts that offer options for increasing your overall cryptocurrency holdings. So I want to talk about that. So you you know you, as you alluded to in the first part of that statement, for most crypto investors, keeping their digital assets on an exchange or in cold storage is their long term strategy. So, with the interest account that you guys have created, I want to get a little bit more insight into custody. So if I use X amount of Bitcoin and I'm getting you know a, a loan from you in USD, let's just say I need to, I don't want to cash out my Bitcoin, but I want to go buy, I don't know, a car for my kid that's not even 18 years old right now, but I want to buy a car for him. And <laughs> Um, you know, I don't want to use, you know, I want to be able to use some of the, the, you know, the kind of the benefits of Bitcoin, but I don't want to necessarily cash out. And so talk to us about that. So I come to you, I want to be able to kind of guide people and and listeners through the steps here. I come to you and I know it's a quick process, but I come to you and I present that I have X amount of Bitcoin and you come to me and you do the underwriting and you, you know, basically can give me, you know, a same day kind of USD uh, transaction. So where does the, do the assets actually physically leave my wallets, my cold storage, do they go to you? And if they do, what's the custody kind of, you know, kind of solutions that you have in place? Uh, yeah. So, um, that whole process, uh, of, you know, coming to BlockFi and, uh, getting a loan from us is entirely automated and available on our website. And you can go, 
uh, end to end from, you know, creating an account and doing your KYC on our platform to uh, signing loan docs and having uh, the dollars in your bank account um, in under an hour. Uh, so it, it's very fast. Um, the, th we decided early on that, you know, building a proprietary custody solution uh, was not the value that we were trying to bring to the market um, and that it was a, a place where we wanted to partner. Uh, so today, when uh, users send Bitcoin to BlockFi, to the address that they see in their BlockFi account, BlockFi never actually touches the private keys. It actually goes directly into uh, storage with Gemini's custodial solution. Mm -hmm. um, they've been our partner since the beginning. They're a trust company regulated by the New York Department of Financial Services. They were the first custodian to uh, offer insurance on the assets uh, in their custody. They were also the first one to go through a SOC 2 Type 1 audit. Um, and they've been a great uh, long-term partner of ours. Um, so they make sure that uh, the assets stay safe. Uh, BlockFi provides uh, the front end, uh, the financing, and you know all of the uh, other components that go along with um, getting that loan uh, and the user experience associated with it. But we don't actually hold the private keys. Uh, we use partners for that. Right. As a person who I believe is very pro Bitcoin, you know, with some of the other solutions out there, and I don't want you to necessarily opine about custody, but do you think that the state of custody that we have today is kind of the end all be all, or do you believe that, you know, the whole, not your keys, not your Bitcoin, the ability to actually, you know, have some sort of a institutional quality custody solution that at the same time, you don't necessarily have to give over your keys. Like you mentioned, you know, do you think, you know, just in terms of opining about custody, you don't have to, we don't have to name competitors or anything like that, but just do you think from what you're seeing as a builder in this space and someone who's obviously working within the matrix of it, do you think the state of custody is going to get, you know, dramatically better relatively soon? Or do you think it's going to be more of a slow burn? Yeah. So, you know, a couple of thoughts on custody generally. Uh, one, I think that, you know, one of the unique and incredibly powerful things about Bitcoin as an asset is that you can efficiently self-custody large amounts of it mm -hmm. um, and move around with that if you want to. Uh, so I think uh, that is a, a very valuable property that it has. Um, and uh, that property might not be something that is attractive to everyone, but it's very valuable for the asset to have as an option. Right. Um, on custody more, more broadly, uh, I think we've come uh, a long way in a short period of time. Um, and the big shift that I think has happened since, uh, you know, we turned the lights on at BlockFi is that there used to be this question of, you know, is there a safe place at all where I can custody crypto? And now I think there are, uh, you know, a handful of uh, very reputable um, institutional quality, insured, uh, battle-tested platforms where, you know, you don't have to ask the question anymore of, uh, is it possible for me to keep a large amount of this stuff with a custodian that's regulated and who I can trust? I think we've checked that box. Um, and I think the next phase of custody is going to be around uh, delivering more services um, in the same place without mm -hmm. sacrificing on security at all. Um, and so that's where, you know, things like uh, BlockFi come in, uh, you know, the ability to 
um, have something that feels a little bit like a, a prime brokerage type offering. You're starting to see a, stuff, a couple of folks uh, in the space uh, build towards. Um, so that's what I think will be, you know, kind of the, the next evolution. Um, and certainly, you know, quality names like that, that, that institutions are familiar with, like Fidelity, coming into the space uh, it is uh, a game changer in mind. So we, we now have gone through kind of the basic, you know, kind of I have decided that I want to somehow use the Bitcoin that I have to go buy my son a car that will he will not be able to touch for eight years. But I've decided to do that now with you and I'm using BlockFi. And so I've gone through that process, as you alluded to, within an hour, things can be transacted and done. Um, so we're going to talk about some of the mechanics here, um, but I think it's really interesting. There is a kind of, I don't know if you call it a motto, but it seems like there's a mantra uh, that you guys talk a lot about on the site is don't sell your crypto if you don't have to. And I think that's really interesting. So you guys launched um, with a market leading crypto to USD loans and continue expanding into financial services that focus on helping people grow their network and manage their digital assets. So. The BlockFi interest account, which we talked about, provides crypto holders with an easy way to earn crypto quickly and easily. And so we're going to get a conversation here going about things like LTVs. So in traditional finance, as we know, you know, LTVs and prepayment risk and things that are more on the fixed income side exist. So I want to have a, a kind of an understanding and provide some color on some of the elements that you would traditionally call in fixed income that are now translating to digital assets and crypto. So in LTV, so you guys have that listed there. How are LTVs and crypto being generated today? Uh, sure. So for our, for our USD loan product, um, we lend at a maximum 50% initial loan to value ratio. So if someone has uh, $100,000 worth of Bitcoin, they can borrow up to 50,000 USD secured by that 100,000 of Bitcoin. Um, and we have uh, actually three different options of initial LTV ratios that are associated with uh, different um, you know, interest rate uh, pricing tiers uh, available for uh, that USD loan product. Um, okay. We're also using LTVs, but in a, in a slightly different context on the institutional side uh, when we're lending crypto. Um, because frequently uh, those transactions are also over collateralized, uh, but the risk that you're that you're managing is in the opposite direction. Um, but LTV stands for loan to value ratio. Uh, we felt that you know in the securities world, uh, um, you're generally able to, as a retail person at least, borrow around uh, or up to fifty percent of the value. And so we felt that that was a, a good benchmark. Um, to work off of uh, in the crypto space, and that's that's how we landed at that being our our max initial uh, loan to value ratio that's available today. So let's I want to dig a little bit deeper into that. So let's say you know in traditional kind of world, I have an asset that is you know fairly stable. We'll just use real estate for instance. Even though real estate does have fluctuations, they are not as potentially volatile as a digital asset where over weekends, over the last few months, we've seen, you know, plus and minus 10% moves. And so how does it work necessarily in terms of underwriting, you know, say, you know, Bitcoin, which as you alluded to, you say a hypothetical $100,000 worth of Bitcoin today, 
you know, with a price shock or if the miners in China decide to coalesce and, you know, create some of the issues that they've done over the last you know year or two. And all of a sudden, you know, that hundred thousand dollars is now worth ninety two thousand dollars. You know, how do you adjust for that with such a volatile asset? Sure. So um, I think it's important to note that uh, overall, while the while the vol on uh, Bitcoin and certainly crypto assets in general is still very high relative to traditional assets, it has been uh, trending downwards. Absolutely. Um, but the way that you know the way that we account for it is that we have a uh, proprietary risk management system that that we built um, that looks at every position that we have, whether that's a USD loan or a crypto loan, um, and calculates the LTV and then takes certain actions uh, based on that uh, calculation. Um, uh, for example, it may just send a notification to a customer. Uh, it may send an official margin call uh, notification to a customer. And it goes all the way through to uh, liquidating some of the collateral that was posted for the loan. Um, that system has been operational since January of 2018. Uh, the time where it got the most use uh, was in November of 2018, and kind of that, you know, capitulation leg uh, of the market cycle where Bitcoin went from 6k down to to 3k. Mm-hmm. Um, and the system has, uh, you know, worked worked perfectly um, uh, since it's been running. So we've never had a late payment. Uh, or a loss on on any of the lending that we're doing. Um, right. But to to go back to your specific example, uh, someone has a hundred thousand worth of Bitcoin. They borrowed fifty thousand USD, uh, and the value of the Bitcoin falls to ninety two thousand dollars. What happens? Nothing. Um, nothing happens at that point. Uh, uh, you would start to get you know notifications and a margin call with that hundred k of Bitcoin falling to a value of sixty to sixty five k. Okay. So we build it. We build in. We build in a healthy amount of room there, uh, which makes sense given the the volatility of the asset. And I'm guessing there's alerting mechanisms that the client is is accessing. It, you know, with obviously they might not be watching the price of Bitcoin on a daily basis like some other people who are trading it. And so I'm guessing there's alerting mechanisms that things are happening. Yeah, you know, everyone has a dashboard that they can log into that uh, tells them the the current. Uh, loan to value ratio on all of their mm-hmm. loans and it's color coded. And then, you know, additionally we'll send uh, emails or text messages um, when certain uh, levels are hit based mm-hmm. on the communication preferences that uh, our client has selected. And so the other thing that I'm curious about as we kind of dig into this, um, because I want people to understand, is there an equivalent to LIBOR in this space right now? I know that there were some earlier concepts uh, and I, I wish it wasn't called as uh, Dipor, which unfortunately sounds like diaper. Um, you know, is there an equivalent to LIBOR in this space right now? Uh, you know, not really. Um, there, there's a few different uh, things that, that you can look at to uh, get towards, you know, something like a reference rate. So um, Masari has uh, a pretty good tool. Uh, I think they call it the CIRI Um centralized interest rate index uh, it's on their homepage and you can look at the uh, funding rates on the perpetual swap platforms um, and you can also see the margin lending rates on uh, Bitfinex and Poloniex. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one area where you can kind of see what's happening in the market. Uh, 
all of those are very short-term measures. Uh, so, you know, the funding rate on uh, the, um, you know, exchanges like BitMEX that have a perpetual swap construct changes every eight hours. Um, and then in the margin lending markets, it changes, uh, you know, on an hourly or daily basis as well. Mm-hmm. Um, another place you can look is uh, the futures market, um, which right now doesn't have, uh, you know, something like a LIBOR rate because it, the market is actually uh, in contango. Right. So, you know, you, you have to pay to, to buy Bitcoin in the future. You don't get paid for holding uh, uh, Bitcoin um, based on the, uh, the curve of the futures market today. Um, and then there's places like uh, BlockFi and other decentralized uh, financial platforms um, that do pay you interest. So those are all your touch points. And there's not really, you know, there's no one backstopping the system. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no kind of single point of reference. Uh, but those are the different touch points uh, that you can look at. Um, another thing that actually just came out earlier this week, so it's a bit topical, is uh, coinmarketcap.com mm-hmm. created a, you know, an interest rate section on their website. Yep. Um, so if you go over there and you look at Bitcoin, uh, you know, BlockFi currently has the highest rate for Bitcoin uh, deposits, which is something that we're regularly monitoring and, uh, you know, trying to be at the top of. It's so interesting that, you know, we, I'm sure you've been in this long enough that we all had this, you know, kind of grand vision of a new system in place where we obviously wanted to, you know, create distributed and decentralized systems, removing the proverbial middleman, et cetera, et cetera. But yet we're always still kind of going back to the tooling that we've had for, you know, years and years and years, especially in finance. I just find it interesting, um, you know, that uh, hopefully new contracts and new matrices will come out. Obviously they are, as we've seen with CDPs and some of the other evolutions of the derivatives side uh, in digital assets. One last question I have is in terms of things like concepts like prepayment risk, um, you know, I would always look at, you know, the cascade on a loan or a batch of loans, you know, if there was, you know, if the, you know, if the owner of the loan started to kind of prepay the loan faster than the actual modeling, there was actually some risk and hot, you know, kind of inherent there. Is there anything like prepayment risk involved with crypto in these days and the, some of the loans that are happening? Uh, yeah, sure. Certainly. I mean, um, we offer, uh, the ability to prepay at any time without, without penalty, uh, mm-hmm. for all of our, for all of our borrowers. Um, and, uh, the risk that we take there is that if we have a lot of prepayments, uh, our IRR, uh, will be higher, but our overall revenue will be lower. The IRR is higher because we get paid back, uh, faster, but, uh, the overall, um, you know, revenue might be lower because we have, a outstanding balance for a shorter period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, you know, we decided early on that, that, uh, just from a, from a client experience perspective, um, we didn't want to be, you know, in the business of, uh, charging people a penalty for, for paying us back. Um, so we just take that risk, uh, right. and, and we're comfortable with it. And, you know, to date, uh, the most common, um, duration of, of loan that we've issued has been a year and we see an average uh, loan life uh, of seven months. Um, so we are seeing, you know, a, a material amount of prepayments, but mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're, you know, completely comfortable uh, taking that risk. Um, but yeah, it, it does exist. 
I think the other, you know, some of the other things that I, you know, we necessarily didn't prepare for, but, you know, one of the things that was interesting to me is that I've noticed that it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, or GUSD and Ethereum. What made you, has it always been Ethereum or did it start with Bitcoin? What was the evolution there? And I, I use the term underwriting uh, for new tokens out there. You know, some people don't necessarily agree with that terminology, but if you were to ever, you know, we've seen like in Maker, I think they're now using multi, uh, multi-asset collateralized um, tokens and they're looking to do that and moving away from just Ethereum per se. Um, you know, you're supporting Bitcoin and Ethereum. Is there any future where you start to support, you know, things that might be in the proverbial kind of top 10 or top 20 that have, you know, a fair amount of liquidity that are traded, you know, on a daily basis, you know, that have decent volumes? Is there any, what is the kind of guiding principles there? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, the guiding principle is, is risk management. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, the, the primary drivers of our risk model are, liquidity availability uh, first and um, volatility of, of the asset second. And then uh, obviously, you know, seeing demand from, from our clients uh, is important in terms of that consideration. Um, we definitely plan to support additional assets on the platform. Uh, for this year, we're planning on uh, adding at a minimum USDC support and Litecoin before the end of the year. Uh, and then in the first quarter of next year, we'll, you know, be, evaluating uh, whether or not we should add some of the other usual suspects um, in the top 10. Uh, we also have to be conscious of, uh, you know, risks related to the classification of these assets, um, especially, uh, you know, securities regulations. So we'll keep all of that in mind, but yeah, we'll definitely be expanding into other assets over time. One of the things I'm really interested in getting on the platform is uh, some of the digital gold tokens uh, like PAX gold. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that uh, I think that there's a market for that that uh, has you know some some folks in it that might not overlap directly with uh, cryptocurrency today, um, and so I think it gives us a particularly unique opportunity to uh, expand the, the client base. Do you see you know this is just kind of opining here? So you are starting to do a lot of you know banking services. Do you see the evolution of digital assets to the point where I I almost call it, would you ever, you know, it's not necessarily issuing credit cards or doing things of that nature, but do you ever see the issuance of credit or things that are more traditional, you know, providing the, you know, people, I know you're kind of already doing this, but, you know, providing people that, you know, might want to, you know, further their exposure or further, further their utilization of digital assets, you know, if they wanted to, you know, have something like a credit card that they could, you know, pay with crypto, is that ever something, you know, kind of rational or even something that is worthwhile? Or do you think the path forward that you've already kind of laid out is really where the future is? Um, so uh, a couple things there. So uh, we're already um, issuing credit. And, and when I say credit, I mean, uh, you know, lending right. in a way where you don't, where you aren't over collateralized by right. a liquid asset. Um, it's just that today we're only doing that at the institutional level. Right. Um, over time, we will definitely do that uh, at the retail level as well. Um, and it's actually you know, part of our roadmap of product diversification hmm. uh, includes a uh, consumer credit card um, 
I kind of knew that led into that, Zach. Oh, nice. A a consumer credit card where you could get, you know, Bitcoin rewards instead of airline miles or normal cash back. Um, I think that, you know, basically all of the cards that have existed in the crypto space today aren't aren't credit cards in the way we think of a credit card in the U.S. market. They're debit cards that let you, you know, spend your crypto or Mm -hmm. spend some value that you've already preloaded onto a card. Um, we're planning on, uh, we're, we're actively building towards launching um, a credit card where you know we look at someone's FICO score and other uh, you know important financial metrics, um, issue them credit, and then uh, give them uh, you know a couple percent uh, back based on what they spend on the card, but in Bitcoin. Um, and we're really excited to to market that. Right. I think there's going to be so many fun ads that we can make, and I think that uh, <laughs> I think that it's going to be a, a great way to a great, easy, low friction way to on ramp people into owning Bitcoin mm-hmm. who who haven't you know who haven't yet taken the step or aren't comfortable taking the step of uh, using some of their own money to buy it. Um, right. uh, in addition to being you know really popular with folks that. Uh, are already excited about Bitcoin. Like every client we have, you know, it, it feels like they're messaging us on a monthly basis. When's the card coming out? When's the card coming out? So uh, we're, we're really excited about that. So that was a cheating question because I said, as I already knew, I kind of knew the answer to that, but I wanted people to hear about that. So <laughs> it, it is a super interesting uh, kind of evolution of the space. And, uh, you know, as I said in the onset, you know, you guys at BlockFi have been really at the forefront of a lot of things that are happening, kind of dist- you know decentralized and open finance. So, you know, two last things that we like to do with guests. One is on a personal level to get to know you aside from the work that you're doing at BlockFi and your presence within digital assets. You know, there are two things that we put into our brain. Hopefully every day we get to read a little bit and it's not just crypto Twitter or some white papers or other things about regulatory impacts that have been, you know, kind of coming all over the place in the last few weeks, but books, anything that you've read recently that might have resonated with you that would really taught you something or that you immediately went to your friends and family or like, oh my God, you got to get by this book. Um, anything like that would be awesome that you've read. Or And also the other thing that you know we do on a regular basis, hopefully you do, is listen to music. And I know you're traveling all over the place and you know telling people and teaching people about BlockFi. So any music that you listen to during your travels or during your work, in addition to any books that you've read recently? Uh, sure. So um, in terms of books, uh, I'm in the middle of a couple right now. They're on different ends of the spectrum. One's a bit more entertaining and one's more related to work. But uh, I'm reading Prince of Providence, hmm. um, which is about this. Uh, it's like it's a true story. Uh, it's about this former mayor of Rhode Island who was you know, not only mayor, but also like heavily involved in the mafia and very corrupt. So it's an interesting story. Okay. Um, and then and then Ben Horowitz's new book. Uh, what you do is who you are, how to create uh, your business culture. Um, I- I've read uh, his first book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, uh, multiple times, uh, cover to cover. So I, w- I was really pumped to uh, start reading his his newest book. On the music side, I might be kind of unique. I mean, I-, I grew up in Texas, and I still have a-, a passion for Texas country music. Oh, boy. So, Um, it's like its own genre, you know, down there, there's a, there's a specific type of country music that people listen to. And, uh, I still love that stuff and listen to new artists that come out in that, in that space. Um, and I spent a lot of time in Latin America, uh, 
when I was in school and, and traveling for fun since then. So I like, I like reggaeton, which people in the office make fun of me for. Wow. Um, but, I, but I listen to some reggaeton music when I'm like pumping myself up. That, uh, that is whatever. Zach Prince, the first person on Bass Layer in the year that we've been online. And you are the first person to bring up reggaeton. So congratulations on that. I don't think I've ever said that publicly either. So hopefully nobody makes fun of me. For it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Um, the last thing that we'd like to do is give people the opportunity to um, let people know where to find you, find more about BlockFi, how they can get active in, in what you guys have been doing. So feel free to give a shout out to your website or anything that you want to talk or you want to you know, let people find more about what you're doing. Yeah, sure. We're really, we're really easy to find. Uh, our website is BlockFi.com. We've got phone numbers and emails on there. Um, my Twitter handle is uh, BlockFiZach, and the company's Twitter handle is uh, at the real BlockFi. So you know, don't hesitate to uh, shoot me a DM or give us a call or an email. Uh, we're always happy to chat. Awesome. So this was Zach Prince at BlockFi, a company that is really working to reinvent uh, banking and finance in the new world that digital assets and Bitcoin has brought to the table. Really exciting stuff. Thank you, Zach, for joining us. And we'll have you on again soon to catch up. Take care. Sounds great. Bye. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash layer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space in the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, market commentary, videos, and more.